Well, welcome to The Exchange Online. My name is Hal Mayer. I'm the Young Adults Pastor here at Grace Family Church. I'd like to welcome you online tonight. And uh, let me just say, I hope that this past weekend, uh, this Memorial Day weekend, as we remember those who lost their lives for the freedom of our country, that you were not a part of the things that people were doing in their freedom. Uh, It seems like people went a little bit crazy this weekend. And it brings up the question of this. I mean, it always happens whenever life changes. What's most important, right? What's most important in our lives right now? I mean, right now what's interesting is people are doing things just to show everyone else they think this is most important. If you think health is most important, then you are wearing a mask constantly. If you think freedom uh, from the government and the government not telling you anything, then you are not wearing a mask and you are posting all kinds of stuff online. You're getting very angry. And, And the problem is this, is that there's so many things right now that are more important than what's going on there, but we've lost sight of it because that's what's big. We've lost sight of it because that's what's going on in front of us. And this is something that is normal for us. This is something that happens all the time where we are going after what we believe God has called us to do. What we believe is most important in life. But things come alongside. Things come into view. And we have this this thing called mission creep. Uh, It's actually a military term. It's the idea that you have this primary objective, but these other objectives come into view. These other objectives that seem important and they take our sight off of what we should be doing. Actually, they veer us off course to where our primary objective is no longer what's in sight. It's our secondary objective that is. See, I mean, right now during this quarantine time, you could be using it for so many things, but what are we using it for? We could be doing so many things with our lives. We could be doing so many things with maybe our family. But what are we focused on? Are we focused on what's most important right now? Or are we focused on something that's secondary? You see, when you look in the Bible, when we look in the book of Acts, this is our last week in the book of Acts, we see the disciples dealing with this. They're dealing with mission creep. They're dealing with the fact that there are secondary things coming in. Let me just say this. Secondary things are not always bad. They're not. In fact, secondary things many times are good things, but they're not the main thing. They're good things, but they're not great things. They're good things, but they're not what God called you to do specifically. And see, what happens is, is life, it goes off to the side. Many times we're going after what we know we're supposed to, but stuff takes us away. For example, anything you do well. Here's what's interesting. You could be going after something that's good. You're not getting praise for it. And all of a sudden you get praise for something over here. You have success in something over here. And what do you do? You start doing the thing that you get praise for. I mean, some of you are in college degrees. Some of you are in jobs that you don't like at all, that you don't want to do. But somewhere along the line, a parent or someone in your life said, you're good at that. You should do that. I mean, busyness gets in the way of it. Also opportunity. Let me just say this, not every opportunity we should go after. We know this, right? We shouldn't go after every opportunity that comes up in our lives. But I'll tell you the truth. The moment you go after what God wants you to do, there's going to be other opportunities. There's going to be other things that look good, but aren't God. And so we have to figure out what is most important right now. What are the things that I need to be focusing on? And what are the things that I am supposed to do right now? Now, I want you to understand this. When we look at the book of Acts... It's prescriptive, not descriptive. What does that mean? 
meaning this. It's something we should look at and realize these are the values. These are the things that God is doing. These are the things that God wants in his church, not this is the exact church we should be. The church in Acts, the church in Ephesus, the church uh, in Philippi, all of these churches are churches that God used to do big things, but none of them are perfect churches. In fact, when we look in the book of Acts, we should see this. We should see a whole bunch of imperfect people being used by God to do something incredible. In fact, I think that's the reason why the book of Acts should be encouraging to us. God's using normal people, people who have sinned, people who have killed people, people who have done a lot of awful things to spread the gospel and to build the church. And let me just say this, Matthew 16, 18 is something that should take a little bit of the pressure off our shoulders. It says this, says, now I say to you, Say to, to you that you are Peter. This is, he's talking to Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Who builds the church? Did he say you'll build the church? No, he says I will build the church. See, the idea of building the church, bringing people to Christ, ultimately does not fall on us. God's going to use us in the process, but he is the one that is going to build the church. Who builds the church? Jesus does. What's the whole point of the book of Acts? Is it what people do? No, it's what the Holy Spirit does through the people that allow him to do that. So we're going to look in Acts chapter 6, and we're going to look at what happens as the apostles have this mission creep. Things that are good, but are not what God called them specifically to do. So we start off in verse 1. It says, But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. They said, We apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. Let me just take a second to explain that. Here's what they're not saying. They are not saying feeding the widows and taking care of the widows is secondary. Here's what they're saying. Jesus called the apostles to something very, very specific. They are to be preachers of the word. They are to go out everywhere and spread the gospel. I mean, when you look in the book of James, James actually says, he goes, pure religion in the sight of God is caring for widows and orphans in need. So it's not that this isn't important. It's that the apostles are now doing things that actually bring a lot of reward to them. I mean, caring for widows and orphans, that's important. That's rewarding. But they realize all their time is being taken up by something that someone else should be doing. It's somebody else's calling. It's somebody else's thing. And so what do they do? We, we catch up in verse 3 and says, And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of spirit and wisdom. Not just anyone. It says, We will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas and Nicholas of Antioch. Just say the words fast and people will believe you know what you're saying. It says, these seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them and laid hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Here's what had to happen. They had to let go of something to take hold of what God had for them. Okay. Here's what also had to happen. They had to let go of something so someone else could take hold of what God had for them. 
See, I've learned this, the longer you're in ministry, the longer you're doing anything, anytime you're a leader, whether it's in the church or outside the church, what we tend to do is this, is we tend to hold on to things believing only we can do them. We tend to hold on to things, especially the things that bring us praise, not necessarily the things that we ought to do. That is, the apostles right here, they realize, look, these are things that are important, but this is not what God called us to do specifically. I mean, Jesus told the apostles, this is exactly what you're supposed to do. And what they're supposed to do is make disciples and raise up others to do the rest of it. See, the church is filled with a bunch of people who have very different callings. And what the apostles had to do is realize, this is my calling. I have to let go of this so I can take hold of this. See, what happened though in that verse, when everyone was doing what they were supposed to do, what happened? It said the number of believers grew. The number of leaders grew. When the church is doing what it's supposed to as a whole, the church grows. And understand this, both the church and life must be organized for growth. Both the church and your life must be organized for growth. And when I say organized for growth, I'm not saying filling your life with as many things as possible. I'm saying filling your life with the things that matter most so you can focus on what God has called you to do. That's why regularly we have to ask the question, what's important? What should I be doing? What shouldn't I be doing? Here's the problem though. Well, there's a question before that. There's a question we have to ask before that that many of us don't know. I mean, here's the problem. What should we be doing? You don't know what you should be doing if you don't know what you're called to do. See, we have to ask a first question. Because to achieve my calling, I must know my calling. That sounds so simple, right? To achieve my calling, I must know my calling. But many of us are going through life blind, just going after what everyone else is doing. See, we don't have this sense of what our calling is. And so in life and in the church, we just go after it. Many of you, you finish high school. So you're like, what do I do next? I have to go to the college, the best possible college, the most expensive college that I can go to and get a degree. Why? Because that's what I'm supposed to do. Then you get out with debt and then you're like, what do I do now? I go and get the highest paying job I can find, even though that highest paying job is not what I'm supposed to do. And then what? You have a family and then you have kids. And here's what happens when you have kids. You're like, I need to turn these kids into perfect trophies so I can tell everybody else how great they are and how much better they are than your son. It's like, Karen, we get it. Your son's brilliant, but my son's bigger and he can kick your butt. So anyway, side note, but this is what we do, right? We, we look at what everybody else is doing. This is what happens in Christianity, right? You become a Christian. What do you do? You look at everybody else and you go, I need to be that. You find somebody that's doing something. You're like, I need to do that. And so what do we do? We start seeing all these Christians. We start adding what they're doing to our lives, believing that's what our calling is. But God has a calling for your life. God's prepared you for something. Now, when you look at what the Bible says our mission is, you look at the Great Commission. It says to go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and making disciples. So what are we supposed to do? Go into all the world, make disciples, multiply. Well, if you take that on as a singular Christian, you're like, that's a lot. My job is to save the world. And let me just say this. Yes and no. Yes, that's a, your job. But no, it's not just up to you. See, the Great Commission isn't up to a believer, it's up to the church. 
And it's when the church as a whole comes together that the Great Commission can happen. It's when the church comes to whole, as a whole together that we start to reach people and reach the world and have missions and do those things. See, every person is different and the church is a complex organism. And when people don't do their part, the church is not able to fulfill its mission. I mean, it's kind of like this. I just got to bring it back up because I'm hoping, hoping, hoping football comes back. I mean, the Bucks. we got Tom Brady. And Tom Brady is amazing. But when a team runs a play, a team has to run a play, right? I mean, if everyone's so amazed with Tom Brady and the offensive line doesn't block on a play, what's going to happen? He's going to get sacked. If the running back is so amazed with Tom Brady that when Tom Brady goes back and goes to hand off the ball, he just sits there and goes, you do you. What's going to happen? He's going to get sacked. If the receivers don't run their routes, he's going to get sacked. If the entire team doesn't run the play, is it possible for it to happen? No. Why? Because one great person can't overcome what a team is supposed to do. Understand this. Many times in church, we look at the people that are in the highest authorities. We look at the people that have the jobs that are most in front, those that are teaching, those that are singing, and we go, those are the people that are doing God's work. I can just sit back and watch them. Let me help you understand this. The church will not accomplish anything if the entire church is not doing what they're supposed to do. We're all called to run a play. We're all called to do something. All of it matters, not just the things that are in front of others. See, I, I say, see this all the time. I see people leave the church and they say, I left the church because they don't have this. Here's the deal. Why did you leave a church because they didn't have it? Maybe God, maybe, just maybe, God put you in that church to bring that to that church. Maybe God put that on your heart. Maybe that's the reason you see it. Oh, I left this church because it didn't have a homeless ministry. Maybe you were supposed to start the homeless ministry. I left this church because they didn't have the grief support that I wanted. Maybe that's what God's called you to do. Many times God puts your focus on things that aren't there so that you can do it. See, we've got to find our calling. And really in this time, this shelter in place time, we can be using it to truly look at our lives and go, what is it that I'm noticing it? What is it that I'm missing the most? What is it that I look at that nobody else sees? See, here's what we're supposed to do. I am to use my skills, my relationships and roles in life to help the church accomplish the Great Commission. I use my skills my relationships, and my roles. I feel like Napoleon Dynamite, like everybody's got skills. And let me just say, skills are things that are spiritual gifts, but it's not just that. God's gifted all of us very differently. It could be in those spiritual gifts department. It can be in other things. In Old Testament, they, there is a gift. People had the gift of woodworking. I don't know what that would go for now, but it's probably something. Actually, I do. I have people that I know that make bunk beds for people that are in foster care. For kids that are in foster care, they make bunk beds. You know how amazing that is for a kid to get a bunk bed? Why? Because God's gifted them in that way. Look, there's, there's so many things. Let me just say this. A spiritual gift doesn't mean that you're just amazing in something or horrible in something. Like if you don't have the spiritual gift of mercy, it doesn't give you the ability just to be a jerk to everybody. And if you have the spiritual gift of mercy, that doesn't mean you're going to be Mother Teresa. It just means you, you, for some reason, you're better than the average person or you have more of that than the average person. It's something that you look for. It's something that other people will tell you about. It's what you're skilled at. And you have relationships. Look, 
your family, your friends, your neighborhood, your job, you are there on purpose. You are there on purpose, not to just be there, but to be there to further God. Here's, here's my question. If the, people, if the people you were around was asked, if the people you are around were asked, do you use your relationships to further God or further yourself, what would they say? Do you use people to further God's message or do you use people to further yourself? See, God wants you to use the relationships in where you're at right now. Do you further gospel for those around you? Look, we've got to take time to listen. I I really believe this. God will show you. It's written on your life. When you actually take time to look back and look at what you're good at and what God's called you to do, I think it will show up. And many times it's more obvious than you realize. I think it's kind of like this. We just did an Easter egg hunt not that long ago at our house. We had the three kiddos, our six-year-old and our two three-year-olds. And I went out and hid eggs. And normally what you do when you hide eggs, especially when you've got young kids, I've learned this, is you do some hard ones, but you've got to make some easy ones. Three-year-olds, our three-year-olds can't find their sock when it's sitting in front of them. Like if it's just slightly underneath something. So you have to make it easy. And so what do I do? I hide the eggs. I make some of them incredibly easy. I take them out. I say, ready, set, go. What eggs do they miss? The ones right in front of them. Why? Because they're looking out. They're looking for what's out there already. They're looking for the hardest to find eggs. What do they miss every time? The ones right in front of them. In fact, one of them stepped on one and cracked it and kept running. I'm like, what is going on? Let me say this. What God's called you to do is probably more obvious than you realize. It's right in front of you. It's something that you're already doing well. It's something that other people have already acknowledged in you. Take the time right now, especially right now, slow down and figure out what's important. See, I mean, that's what we should be doing right now anyway. In this time where we slow down, we should be looking at our schedule. We should be looking at our life and not going, hey, when everything gets back to normal, I'm going to go back to that speed. No, we should be looking at our life and going, when things get back to normal, this is what matters most and this is what doesn't. Because here's the problem. Some of us are addicted to feeling important. And because we're addicted to feeling important, we do everything. We do anything that gets us praise. We do anything that gets other people to talk about it. I mean, we have to ask the question, do I need to be a part of these things? Does this matter in my life right now? Does this further what God has called us to do? Look at the apostles. Taking care of those widows was important, incredibly important. It just wasn't what they were called to do. See, what are the most important things in your life right now that you need to grab hold of and what are the things that you need to let go? Let me just say this. Many times we go after the things that get us the most praise, not the things God's called us to do. I've seen this many times. See, for a while in pastoral ministry in the 60s, 70s, 80s, there was this idea of this. God, I'm going to take care of the church and if I take care of the church, I am holding you responsible to take care of my family. This sounds spiritual, but is the opposite of what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? God's first, secondary would be your spouse, then after that would be your kids. And what happened as a result of that? You had so many pastors that had these ministries that seemed to be going well, but families that were falling apart. 
That's why whenever I tell somebody I'm a pastor's kid, they ask if I was one of the good ones or the bad ones. They're like, oh, oh, did you go crazy? Did you do? No, I didn't because my dad understood that wasn't what you were supposed to do. You see, no matter what, let me just say this to you. Many of you that are watching right now don't have families yet. And I want to remind you of something. No matter what God's called you to do, your family comes before it. It says it in the Bible. It says, after God, it's your family, and then it's your calling. Your first calling, your first responsibility, future dads, your first responsibility, future moms, is your family. Loving and caring for them. It is your first mission field. I'm reminding you of that now because the moment you have them, it is so easy. It is so easy, just like it was for pastors, to care for those and to do things outside of the home. It's very easy for pastors to care for people outside of the home because outside of the home, you're a rock star. You say all the right things. People listen to you and they don't see all the garbage. At home, they know you. They know me. They know what's going on. It's harder to do things. You actually have to have the integrity that you claim to have all the time. It's easier to work outside the home than it is inside the home. See, God has called us to very specific things, but our family comes first. So when that happens in your life, remember, whatever your calling is, your family comes before that. The Bible is very explicit about that. I mean, imagine this. Imagine if Jesus didn't die. Imagine if instead what he did is he just walked around, healed as many people as he could, fed as many people as he could, brought back to life as many people as he could. He could have saved a bunch of people, but he would have missed out on saving the world. Right? He could have done incredible things. Everyone that got near him would have loved him because they would have been healthy, they would have been fed, they would have been alive. But the world would not have known the Savior. Guys, we can get caught up in a lot of good things that are not great. We can get caught up in a lot of good things that are not God. We can get caught up in so much busyness that we don't see the calling that God has on our life. It's simple let me just say this, if we stay on mission, we'll achieve our mission. You're like, how? That's so simple. I know. But how hard is it to do? We have to stay on mission to achieve our mission. It means we have to pay attention to it. it. means we have to regularly evaluate it. Chrissy and I, on a regular basis, have to look through our schedules and decide what to cut. Rarely do we have to look through our schedules and go, what should we add? It's always... Is this what God's called us to do? This is something that's good. This is something that will maybe make money. Maybe it will actually help have people go, man, you're awesome. But it's not something God's called us to do. And it will take away from what we're supposed to be doing right now. Let me just say this. Life is a lot like a game of tennis. You can only control what happens on your side of the court. Look, you can't control what other people are doing. You can't control circumstances. You can just control what you're doing. Here's what God says. If you do what you're supposed to do, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. In fact, God's going to do what he's going to do no matter what. But if we do what we're supposed to do, it works together to accomplish a mission that's only possible when we have him on our side. See, God says, actually in the Bible, he says that he's going to do his part every single day to the day we die. And he won't be done with us 
until that end. Look, Pastor Craig said it this week, and he says, God has work for you to do. And that is incredibly true. We just have to make sure we're doing the work God has called us to do. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you that we just get to be a part of what you're doing. It is amazing that you use us in that way. God, I pray right now that you would help us understand what our calling is. God, I pray that you would help us this week sit down, think about the things that we need to get rid of, the things that are superfluous, and the things that we absolutely need. God, we know we need community. God, we know we need church. God, we know we need people around us. But God, we also know there are so many good things out there, so many things to be a part of, so many things that we see, so many causes. But God, I know that you have us focused on one. God, please show us what that is today. God, please show us this week as we take the time to focus on these things. And God, we thank you for that. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.